Welcome in. This is Downtown, the podcast, episode 51. Rich Kimball here with Kerry Haskell from our Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine, where our downtown radio show originates every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We're heard uh, on the actual radio on WZON, WKIT, HD3 in Bangor, streaming all around the world, WZONAM.com, downtownwithrichkimball.com, and the WZON app. Our podcast is brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength, and by Pineland Farms Dairy, Maine Cows, Maine Milk, Maine Cheese, Pineland Farms. Just one guest on the podcast this week, but he's absolutely one of our favorites. And when we get a chance to talk to him, well, we like to stretch it out and cover a lot of ground. And that's what we've done this week with actor, author, and storyteller, Stephen Tobolowsky. We talk about the search for a new home for his terrific Netflix series, One Day at a Time, that was not renewed for a fourth season. We got into a little philosophy as well, as we often do with Stephen and... Late in the conversation, a wonderful story involving George Siegel and Art Linkletter. So some good stuff here on this week's Downtown, the podcast with our friend Stephen Tobolowsky. I was going to introduce you, paraphrasing a, a line from One Day at a Time, and introduce you as our favorite Jewish cowboy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, I, uh, I began... I guess my career as a cowboy in fourth grade at Claire Richards' birthday party, and we 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 were going to ride horses for the first time in my life, and I got a horse that was called Big Gray, even though my mother called it Old Mike, <laughs> and f- forever. So it was Big Gray, and they hoisted me up on this big old horse, and he had been around that track with the kid on his back one too many times. <laughs> so this horse wasn't going anywhere. So he wandered about 10 steps from the barn and started eating off of a bush. And I'm jumping up and down on his back, and I'm kicking him in the sides, and I'm doing everything. And that horse looks back at me and snorts at those big old nostrils, and he isn't going anywhere. And all of my friends, all the kids at Claire's party, they're going down down the happy trail and I'm there. And so I cry out to the skinny man in jeans. I go, you know, big gray, he's not moving. He's not moving. So the skinny man in jeans walks up with me, walks up to me and gets a branch off of a tree. And in my little mind, I mean, talking to you now, I think that branch had to have been about six feet long, <laughs> something like this. And he picks that branch up and hits big gray right across the head and that horse took off and the skinny man started laughing as i'm galloping now first time ever on a horse galloping down the trail past my friends and the skinny man's yelling he's a going now ain't he he's a going now (laughs) laughing laughing and i realized my whole life that what i always need to do is be my own skinny man in the jeans that so often all I need to do is hit myself in the head with a two by four and I will start again. So whenever times get bad, be your own skinny man. I hope, I hope big gray is not the, the horse that communicated somehow with that horse many years later in Iceland. Oh no, no, no. Now the horse I had in Iceland was a little SOB named uh, little bit of red 
was was the translated name. Now I I had one horse called Little Bit, and I had another horse called the the Icelandic people are not good with names. They they have so many horses. You know, in Iceland there are more horses than people, and so they name horses just like foot or you know like. <laughs> one eye bigger than the other, you know, just identification names. But this horse was nasty. I think a lot of your listeners kind of know that that was a, uh, for those who don't know, that was a really important moment in my life because the, I, we, we were riding up on a, a volcano in Iceland, Mount Hetla, if you want to look it up on your map. And I was hit with a giant wind and the wind lifted me and the horse off the ground. I'm not kidding about this. I, and carried us several feet, dropped us, and then little bit of red took off with me on his back. And I got thrown onto a lava flow where I was thrown. And I guess I didn't know the severity of my injury at the time. I was going in and out of consciousness all day. But I ended up breaking my neck in... Five, five of the vertebrae were broken, multiple breaks, and the central vertebra was crushed. And I had the injury that Christopher Reeve had, but with much different effects, all because I was an anatomical mistake in that my neck was built exactly the opposite of most human beings. And so the curve of my neck went out instead of in, and it pushed the a lot of the blow into my shoulders so it didn't snap my neck off. And, and so I feel it. I feel it, uh, Rich, whenever the rain comes, I feel it. So it's still with me, but I'm still walking and can move fingers and toes, so I'm very happy. That's a remarkable story. Stephen Tobolowsky with us. I was rereading your book, My Adventures with God, and, yes. and I went to one of my favorite chapters, The Speed of Everything. And uh, wonderful stories in there, starting with uh, you having dinner with your sons and trying to figure out what they're talking about, trying not to fight and get Anne upset. But, uh, but some, some great wisdom and thought in that chapter about, well, us hurtling through space, yet oblivious to the movement around us. Right. It, uh, my son is a scientist. He's, he's an organic chemist. And now, actually, Rich, he's teaching at UCLA, so I'm really happy. He's, he's got a job this year as a kind of teaching uh, incoming uh, organic chemists. I think he teaches graduate kids. Anyway, the, the idea is that we're on the Earth, which is turning about 1,000 miles an hour. And the Earth is rotating around the sun. We know it takes 360, but I think at enormous speed, we're moving around the sun as well. And at the same time, on the Earth, spinning, moving, turning, everything in the universe is moving at what I used to think was called the speed of light, but now physicists are calling it the speed of everything that everything is moving at the same time, and yet we here are unaware of all of this motion that we're going through. And it made me wonder, how is it possible that my family could sit around this table and discuss, because all of us are moving at speeds that are incomprehensible to us, and yet we're able to sit around a table and have this discussion. Uh, my, <laughs> my son, he... 
I'm, I'm a person who's religious and my son is a person who is not. And that has led to so many amusing uh, discussions around the dinner table. But I'll tell you, you know, at the end of this week, Rich, uh, we're getting into the Holy Week. As everyone knows, Easter is coming up, but also Passover is coming up. So I, this year I went and told my son, I, you know, because he, he really isn't much into the observation of anything, like many people. And I said, Robert, you know, if you don't feel like sitting here at the table and doing Passover, he goes, are you kidding? I love Passover. I wouldn't want to miss it. <laughs> And, and I go, why? He goes, I don't know. I like hearing the story. I like eating the food. I like the matzah. I, you know, so it, a lot of times our holy places become tradition. Now, this, this is something I learned. I've been taking Hebrew for what, like 10 years? Can't learn a thing. <laughs> I, my mind does not absorb it at all. But this one little thing I learned the word kadosh, the word, have you heard that word, Rich? Kadosh? I have, yes. Kadosh is uh, the Hebrew word. It's translated in the Bible as holy, but that's not what kadosh means. Kadosh doesn't mean holy. Kadosh means separate. And that's all it means, separate. Hmm. And the idea was when the word, we, we have three tenses that describe time, you know, past, present, future. But back in the olden times, people did not have that sense of past, present, and future. Uh, they sensed that everything was a continuum. The past and future were all part of the same thing. And it was all part of a plan. And so, and so in, in Hebrew tense in the Bible, the things which have come to pass is the past. The things that will come to pass are the future. And the present is now. And to set aside the everyday was kadosh, things that are separate from the motion of what we would call past, present, and future. What is set aside? What is separate? And I realized that quite accidentally, the, for my son Robert, the holiday of Passover became something that was set aside. And it actually, <laughs> against all of our plans and wishes, have become holy. He wants to be there. He wants to hear the story and eat the food and say the blessings. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. I'm calling, I'm calling it the Easter, the Passover miracle. That's what I'm calling. <laughs> uh, in that chapter in the book, The Speed of Everything, you talk about the fact that as we well, actually hurtling further away from our home as we're really, with the universe yeah. expanding, heading away, and we're either in a situation where everything has meaning or nothing has meaning. Where are you on that continuum right now? I think I think everything has meaning. We just don't necessarily know what it is. <laughs> Let me, now, I know we're on Skype now, and if we had, if I turned on my video, which I'm not going to do right now, I'm, I'm sitting in my little study where I write my stories and behind me are all of these books so your audience can get that vision in their head. And you know how people have things 
that they set in, in their bookcases, little special things, photographs, family pictures, sure. paintings their children did in third grade. What? So I looked on my shelf behind me before we started because I wanted to see what is on video that Rich is – am I going to be doing this interview in my underwear? <laughs> no. But I turned around, and one of the things on my shelf is a stick, a stick from the ground, not anything that we hit a uh, big gray or Mike with. <laughs> but I realized, why do I have this stick? And I remember the reason I have this stick is it's from Iceland. Oh, my. And I picked this stick up off the ground when earlier in that day, I was almost killed. Before, I was almost killed. That's twice in one day, Rich. For those people who are keeping score. So the first time I was almost killed, uh, we were riding up a trail that went over a river and then up a set of switchbacks. And there was a family behind me that brought their children along, little kids, little kids that didn't know how to ride. And so I'm riding my horse. This is a different horse now. I was riding a, a, a mare called Myra. And the kids' horses go wild. They start running while I'm on the switchback going up the cliff that's about 40 feet high over the river. Mm. And the kids start galloping behind me, which upsets my horse, but they force me off the switchback, off the trail, and my horse, with her front hooves, grabs onto the sheer wall of, of rock. Wow. Now, we're... Now we're off the trail. We're hanging 30 feet over the river. We have 10 feet to get to the top, and I would not have believed it. Now, obviously now the horse is vertical, and Annie, my wife Annie, she was going up a different part of the trail, and she sees this and screams and yells out, grab on to the mane, because anybody who knows when a horse is running or going crazy, he ain't going nowhere without that mane. You grab a hold of the mane, and you're going to stay on that horse. So I grab the horse's mane. The horse is hanging on to the rock face, and, of course, the stirrups and all that stuff don't help because we're vertical on the wall now. I'm hanging on to the horse's back by holding onto the mane, and Myra begins climbing up the wall with her feet. I had no idea wow. a horse could do this. Like a cat going up the drapes, <laughs> she puts one hoof in front of the other and pulls us up, and she climbs the other 10 feet to get to the top. She reaches the top and falls into the ground on a heap and collapses. I fall on the ground too, but we were alive. The head of the Icelandic riding team came up to me and said, she did everything she could to save your life. Uh, she can't ride anymore today. She gave you everything. Uh, so we're going to switch horses. You'll have another horse for the rest of the trip. And that's when I got that little SOB, little <laughs> bit of red. But when I was resting there on the ground for about 20 minutes, trying to catch my breath and crying, and running over to kiss this sweet horse that saved my life. Yes. On the ground was a stick. A stick. A stick. And I said, I'm going to keep this stick 
to remember the day this horse saved me. And I pulled that stick. <laughs> it ended up in my luggage. I brought it home. It's on my bookcase now. And it commemorates the day that became quite another kind of day. At that point, I thought I was the luckiest man on earth. And within two hours, I was going to be senseless, knock senseless, going in and out of uh, consciousness. Finally, I think I got home that night from the hospital one in the morning from Reykjavik in a neck brace. And uh, it was still daylight. Uh, but I kept that stick so it has become set apart. It has become something that's holy just by keeping it here on my shelf. As well it should be. That's, a, that's an amazing story. Uh, you went uh, to visit your dad. How was the celebration of, was it his 97th birthday? 97. Oh, remarkable. my gosh. Dad is one of these guys who thought his retirement years, his golden years, were going to be great because he loves sports. And he's going to be able to sit and watch sports to his heart's delight. And then he lost his eyes. Mm. Couldn't see. And now he can't walk. And it's difficult for him to hear. And consequently, it makes him hard to remember. He, he has difficulty remembering things because he has no framework. Right. 97 years of age. But I have to say, this visit home, he was so positive and so optimistic uh, heroic, if you ask me, and just delightful, cracking jokes. His memory was r relatively good considering, you know, it, how bad it can be at times. So we had a great time. We had Mexican food and we told stories of uh, vis visits past. We told stories about mom, who he still misses terribly. She passed away in uh, 2007, I believe. And, uh, oh, boy, I just realized I broke my neck in 2008. Thank goodness mom did not know about any of that mm. stuff. There's a blessing. So anyway, uh, it was a great visit, Rich. It was very great, very positive. We all loved the guy very much, quite heroic. Stephen Tobolowsky here on Downtown, the podcast. We'll continue our conversation with Stephen in just a moment. But first, this word from our friends at Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A brand new sponsor on the podcast. We are so thrilled to have the great people at Pineland Farms Dairy joining us. You know, since 2005, Pineland Farms Dairy has been making the finest cheese in Maine. Cheddar, Monterey Jack, Pepper Jack, Baby Swiss, Feta, and those oh-so-good cheese curds, the preferred snack of the downtown program. All made with all-natural milk from the state of Maine. You can find Pineland Farms cheese at Hannaford Supermarkets, Shaw's, Whole Foods, and other great shops throughout Maine and New England. And you can visit them online as well at pinelandfarmsdairy.com. Maine cows, Maine milk, Maine cheese, Pineland Farms. This is it. Have a ball. This is it. 
More with Stephen Tobolowsky here on Downtown, the podcast. Stephen plays Dr. Leslie Berkowitz on the acclaimed Netflix series One Day at a Time, the reboot of the Norman Lear original from back in the 70s and early 80s. Not too long ago, Netflix made the decision it would not bring the show back for a fourth season, despite a very passionate fan base and great reviews. And we talked about the business side of that with Stephen, as well as uh, some opportunities that exist out there for a new landing place for One Day at a Time. Let's uh, talk a little bit, if we can, about what is going on with One Day at a Time. Uh, Netflix decided after three seasons, enough is enough. Uh, There there are business things here that I, I don't begin to understand, but what seems to be complicating things, there are other outlets that would love to have the show, but there's some kind of deal in the contract. Uh, what is it, a three-year window that the show cannot be on another streaming service? Is that right? I, I, I think it's maybe at least that onerous. I, I, it, it's pretty difficult. The, the issue is that if net if if an outlet is simply a streaming service like CBS All Access, it's years before mm-hmm. they're able to get would be able to get one day at a time. So they're virtually out of the running. The only network that could really take one day at a time is a straight up normal network like the CW or Fox or so, where you go to a student, you know, where where it's on television, network television, not just on your computer. Uh, we have so many various windows as as to the the ability for us to move the easiest window for us to move would be the one you speak of and the one i kind of mentioned is not a streaming service a regular straight up network that maybe has streaming and then we would be able if a network picks us up get back in business again Probably, I mean, I'm guessing as a mid-season replacement. Wow. Uh, uh, shows, the new season is new season shows are being shot right now, and they usually start airing in September, and mid-season replacements go on in like January, which means one day at a time would have to start shooting in September. Something like that. So right now, we have been invited as one of two shows to go to this convention in Austin of networks. To And that's going to be in June. So hopefully something will happen at, at this convocation. And one day at a time, we'll, we'll develop uh, another home and I hope it does. But, you know, everything is a tell. You know, the gamblers tell that always you, – you, it's a tell. And this tell is a little depressing. And that is is that it shows that Netflix, one of the criteria of Netflix is not the quality of the show. Clearly. Is not the reviews. None of that. Uh you know, we were 100 on the Rotten Tomatoes critic scale. Right. I mean, almost nothing is. Uh, the shows were fantastic. The audience loves it. Uh, Netflix was hesitant to have another network p- 
pick us up because they said, we don't want another network to have a hit with the show, with one of our shows. And I was talking to Mike Royce, our executive producer, and I'm saying, like, they can only have it one of two ways. You, you can't have it both ways. Either we're not doing good enough at Netflix in terms of numbers of people watching to deserve a fourth season, then, you know, they can't be worried that we're going to be a hit somewhere else. Either there aren't enough people watching the show or too many people watching the show. <laughs> it can't be both at the same time. So I, I have been on terrible shows that have succeeded. I've been uh, now on a wonderful show that's been canceled. I, I got the news at a most inopportune moment. I was doing the Goldbergs. And they had called me and said, five minutes to do one of my scenes. So I'm in my trailer and my phone goes off and it says Gloria Calderon Kellett. And I'm going, it's our executive producer, she and Mike Royce. And I'm thinking, the only reason she's calling me now is we have good news. Because it wasn't time for Netflix to announce and so they're not going to announce early that we're not going to be picked up. I'm sure they're announcing we're picked up, get ready, and start writing new shows. So I'm going to go to the set to do a funny scene in another show, and I get this phone call, and I pick it up and go, hey, Glory, what's up? And she goes, Stephen, it's me and Mike Royce. And I'm thinking, good news, good news. They're right. both there. We have some bad news. Oh. And my heart and soul spilled out all over the dressing room floor. I was shocked and devastated. And they said, our little dream of a show is over for now until we could find another. And then I get a knock on the door and they go, Stephen, we're ready to go do your scene. Come be funny. Yeah. So, so uh, oh man, that was a lesson. That was a lesson. But the the philosophical takeaway I had from that was something I learned on Broadway. I did a show on Broadway, and that is, whether you like it or not, there's always going to be a closing night. Very true. If, if you're in this business and you have no choice, if it's closing night and you wished it were sooner than it is, or like one day at a time that it came far too soon, uh, for this show and for this cast and these people. So anyway, my fingers are crossed. I love this group of people and these writers. And maybe something good will happen at the meeting in June. Well, we certainly hope so. Our fingers, even toes, are, are crossed as well. Uh, before we went on the air, you and I were chatting through Skype. I was telling you a story about my little boy. I brought up Art Linkletter. <laughs> and you you have an Art Linkletter story? I do. You, you were bringing up something... Uh, you know, if if the audience, if you remember Art Linkletter, he had a little part of his show, House Party, and later a standalone show called Kids Say the Darndest Things. <laughs> yes, indeed. Right? And they would have a group of 10-year-olds, and Art Linkletter, who was an enormously charming man, would come up and ask the kids questions like, who does most of the work around your house? Or just ordinary questions. And the kids would say these incredibly odd horrible things that were hilarious and you could see it on the internet now if you want just go kids say the darnest things art link letter and you'll see what i'm talking about so i'm on the set of the goldbergs 
and I'm sitting next to the absolutely great George Siegel, <laughs> who plays the grandfather on the show. And I don't know about you, Rich, uh, but when I was in college, George Siegel was the guy all of us actors wanted to be. He was kind of sort of the Hugh Grant of my generation. <laughs> yes. He was a handsome leading man. He could do comedies or dramas. He was always troubled in the shows. And and he, I guess his big first movie was uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And he played Nick on that. Yeah. So I never have scenes with George. And I sat down next to him. I said, George, I just absolutely have always loved you and have always wanted to be you. And I, how did you get started? And I thought he was going to tell me an Edward Albee story, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Right. And he said, Stephen, it's an Art Linkletter story. <laughs> I was 10 years old, and I was told I was going to be one of the kids on Kids Say the Darndest Things. Oh, my gosh. And we were <laughs> taken into a room before the show starts, and a man came up to us and said, so. This tall man here, and they showed a picture of Art Linkletter. He's going to come up to you and hold a microphone, and he's going to ask you this question. Uh, what does your mother hate to do uh, first thing in the morning? And you're going to answer this. They had a group of staff writers. Oh, oh. Staff writers. Bursting my wrote- bubble. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry to burst this balloon, but it's time. Uh, The staff writers wrote the kids' responses, and this guy drummed it into the kids. And I said, George, you mean the kids say the darnest thing was phony? And George had the biggest smile. He goes, yeah, yeah, Stephen. And that's when I knew this was the business I wanted to be in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> completely phony and somebody else is going to give me good things to say. <laughs> that is wonderful. What a great story. And yet my faith shattered, but, but in a happy smiling kind of way. <laughs> so sorry. It's quite all right. Uh, Stephen, always a delight for us to talk with you. We appreciate you making time for us here. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Hope things go very well for you uh, in June. And we look forward to talking with you again very soon. Thank you so much, Rich. My love to you and everybody out there in Maine. That is actor, author, storyteller, and great friend of downtown, Stephen Tobolowski, joining us here on the podcast. Thanks to you as well for being a part of it this week. We remind you that we're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And by Pineland Farms Dairy, Maine cows, Maine milk, Maine cheese, Pineland Farms. We'll see you next time on Downtown Podcast.